you'd like to grab your Bibles, we're going to have our Bible reading now, our reading from 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13 through to chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good.
Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> All right, are we, are we on? All right, great. Okay, so I, I want you to imagine for a moment that you've opened uh, the, the news. You've got a news article. The headline reads, uh, four, things that you, uh, four things to know about holiness. Now, okay, that might be slightly unlikely that you actually see that in today's new papers, but suppose for a minute that's what you see. What do you think you might read? I mean, it's probably going to be intriguing, so you want to read on and explore what is said in that article, at least from our culture's perspective. I've got some suggestions of those things that you might read in the article. Number one, holiness is restrictive. Holiness is mainly about limiting your options. A do's and don'ts list uh, to live by and basically limits the amount of fun things that you and I can do. Number two, perhaps you might read that holiness is actually about smugness. This said list of do's and don'ts makes a person self-righteous. Perhaps people of religion and faith often are those people who see themselves as better than other people, thinking that they somehow have it all together. Perhaps number three might be holiness is a little bit comical. Wearing long white robes is a must. Perhaps uh, collecting special religious ornaments is part of it too. And maybe in the background, if you just put some acapella music on, that will just top it off. Fourthly, holiness is bad for you. Because of all the before-mentioned reasons, holiness in our culture has some perhaps negative connotations. And maybe it's just better that we avoid it altogether. However, as we explore what the Bible uh, portrays as holiness, the picture that we get is entirely different. The Apostle Peter in our passage today portrays holiness as critical and crucial for the Christian faith. It's something that's actually overwhelmingly attractive for us to have to know, to grow in. So over and against these sort of four ideas, and maybe you can think of some other ideas of what our culture might say and think about holiness, I want to present to you four things that we learn from the Apostle Peter this morning, four things that he teaches us about holiness and what it means to grow and foster holiness in our lives as Christians. And so the first thing this morning that the Apostle Peter shows us in our passage, and that's crucial for us to know, is that God is holy. We need to know that God is holy. God is said to be holy in his character. And so the pursuit of holiness in our lives is grounded in the very character of God himself. We read this in the first few verses that we read this morning starting for verse 13 in our passage. He says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Don't mind anyone that's my child in the background there. Uh, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, there it is, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, 
live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. So I want you to ask you this morning, when it says God is holy, what, what does that actually mean? How would you describe God's holiness to someone else? Well, the holiness of God is certainly a weighty and elusive description in many ways in the Bible. In Scripture, I think we can see that there's actually two kind of key ways that you could perhaps describe it. And it's a bit like, imagine a coin with two sides. They're both intimately related to each other, both important ways that we could look at God's holiness this morning. And actually, both aspects that I'm about to expand on are found in our passage this morning. The first side or aspect of God's holiness is what you might call his majestic holiness. Now, that's not a term that you'll find in the Bible, but it's just a helpful way of perhaps articulating this aspect of God's uh, character. You see, God is so beyond anything in the entire universe, in splendor, in glory, in power, in majesty and beauty, that nothing can fully compare with him. He is entirely other the Holy One, the Incomparable One. And as this Holy God, the most natural thing for creatures to do is to hold Him in the highest regard. Peter shows this very thing in verse 17 when he says that we are to live as, you know, as foreigners, as these exiles, as these chosen exiles, uh, in reverent fear of God. There's something so worthy about Him that He should get our attention. I wonder if you've ever uh, met someone famous as you've gone down the street or perhaps in a shop and it's someone who, you know, perhaps a personality or even a politician or someone that's well known in our culture. Perhaps the most natural response for us is to just treat them special, thinking that, you know, that there's someone that everyone knows and, and their presence is something special that doesn't happen every day. Now, of course, such a person is just human like you and me. But when it comes to God, what Peter's saying is he's the most famous, the most special being that exists to be in the presence of. Such a person deserves our highest regard and honour. A bit like walking into perhaps a, a royal palace with a king and queen there. Uh, the second aspect of God's holiness that shines through our passage so first we talked about sort of the majestic side, the splendorous side. The second side of the coin that's shown in our passage is his moral holiness, you might say. This relates to his perfection in his character. God is pure in every way. No stain, no unrighteousness. The whitest of white. There's nothing impure in God's character. In verse 15 and 16, Peter, he commands Christians to live with this moral purity, to, to resemble God's character here. Just because God is holy and pure, we are to resemble the same uh, life as we reflect him. This here quickly relates to one of our chief purposes, the chief purpose in life. In prior weeks, uh, identity has been something that's sort of cropped up time and time again. And once again, here it does. In the beginning, we, we know back in Genesis that God created humanity in his own image. 
We were created to display, to reflect God's nature, his perfect nature in some limited way. We're not God, he's God, but we had to reflect it in some way. The way we live our lives then is important to God because it reflects what we believe about God and whether or not we are actually reflecting God's holy character. So to live for God then and to to reflect his character is to mean to live lives that are wholly dedicated to living for him. This is a life that recognizes the honor that is due to his name. In this way, Christians are to stand out from the crowd. There should be something distinctive about the Christian life as we reflect the utterly distinct God that we worship. And so for Christians, for us today, this is where our journey of holiness really begins. It begins in God himself, in his holy character, and in knowing that he is about that holiness personally. And how our true identity is intimately tied to him in this way. So that's the first thing that we learn from Peter here, that God is holy. The second thing that we learn from the Apostle Peter this morning is that as people, we are unholy. So we need to know that people are unholy. In verse 14, Peter highlights, what does it mean? Where does this unholiness come from? There he shows that humanity, we have this internal sin, these desires, these passions, these lusts, just live out sinful desires. It's part of the makeup of who we are now as people. And because of that, Peter's saying, live differently. Christians, you have a new life. Don't be conformed to these unholy desires. Live new, holy lives. Back in, uh, we read, Dan read these past, uh, the verses at the start of the letter, uh, towards the start of our service. Back in chapter 1, verse 2, there Peter had already started describing what these, this means for the Christians. There he says, we're to be obedient to Christ. And so that relates to what we're saying here today. We are called to holy obedience, living our lives centered on the Christian hope that we have in Christ rather than succumbing to these old sinful passions. What's particularly interesting for us is looking at verse 14, not only does he talk about these old sinful desires, these passions that that describe the old life, he also says that this old way of living is living in is living in ignorance. So it's it's important for us to ask ourselves this morning, what does he mean by that? Like why is following our sinful desires ignorant? Well, it's because such a person doesn't understand when we give in to those desires the true damage that that actually causes. The damage to us, the damage to other people, let alone the supreme offense that we are committing against the holy God that we worship. So if then we are called to this holy obedience as people, as Christians, it's, it's good to think, how do we actually go about that in our day-to-day life? I think as we, if we're honest with ourselves, it can be very difficult to live out this so consistently and perfectly in every way. And in fact, I think as Christians, there are going to be some challenges that we meet. Now, I can think of two main challenges 
that we face as Christians when we're seeking to live out holy obedience. The first challenge is that we simply attempted to give in to this old way of life. A bit like a juicy worm at the end of a fish hook to a fish that's just an unsuspecting fish. It's appealing. We think sin, yes. It's actually in that moment, it's something we want. In many ways, our world does promote sin in this way. It's something that's good for you, that's appealing, that we should have. Perhaps the key way that our present culture does this today is that it says that rather than living lives dedicated to God, we should live lives dedicated to ourselves. There's this dedication to ourselves, whatever works for you, this self-focused in our culture. But Peter is saying that's actually an ignorant way to live. Such a life actually leads you to feeling empty. It's a futile life. It doesn't give you true identity, security, and purpose. There are so many people who walk our streets today who are just looking for that next kick in life, that next thing to just give them a buzz and enjoyment to fill them up and satisfy them. And yet time and time again, it leaves them empty. Nothing can fill that hole in their heart, quite like what God can. The second challenge as Christians, the main challenge that we will face, is that actually we might, on the other hand, acknowledge that we are sinful. Acknowledge that there's something not quite right going on 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 the inside. Such people might recognize that life is actually not giving them what they thought it would. It doesn't give what it promises. Uh, Some people who may not have encountered Christ yet and come to faith, they might recognize their need for spirituality and a religious life of some kind, but they go and pursue one that isn't actually biblical. Such a person here might read the commands here from Peter and think, yes, I'm in. Give me the rule book. I'll do it. Hope, holiness, fear. Count me in. That's all good and well, but it's good to ask at that moment, what is motivating them to pursue those things? Is it just some legalistic religiosity, or is it actually in true faith? The human heart has a tendency to hide sin in the form of of self-righteousness, of trying to be good enough ourselves. And for the Christian, this danger is actually our danger too. You know, when our culture has this perception of Christians being, or people of faith, being self-righteous, I think if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that's actually true. We are, at least in a heart level, how we act at times. We try and be good enough for God ourselves. So as we consider these two dangers this morning, on the one hand, giving in to our sinful desires, and on the other hand, trying to be, defeat them in our own strength, I ask you this morning, what are you prone to? Have you seen these dangers in your own life? Have you seen, what, are, what danger are you most susceptible to? So this brings us to our third point this morning, that we learned from the Apostle Peter. We learned that 
what to actually get holiness, it starts with Christ. Christ makes us holy. So the third thing we need to know is that Christ makes us holy. In verse 18 to 21, uh, Peter, he dresses this residual ignorance that we have and he replaces it with some spectacular knowledge. What does he say there? What does he want us to know? Well, verse 18, uh, from verse 18 it reads, it says, For you know uh, that it was not with perishable things like such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter shows here where true holiness comes from. It's through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross. The picture here in, uh, in the first Peter, when he mentions a lamb without blemish or, or spot or wrinkle or defect, um, that, that lamb sparks many Old Testament passages actually, but particularly Isaiah 53. Uh, there in Isaiah 53 verse 7 it reads, For he, he being Jesus, in the fulfillment of this passage, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Holiness comes from Christ. If you're here this morning and the words, the precious blood of Christ, uh, if, like you've never been to church, those words might seem a bit strange. And actually in human terms, purely human terms, it is a bit strange, celebrating the gruesome death of someone on a cross. And yet, in God's infinite wisdom, that is the very thing that is needed to rid us of sin and make us new. Indeed, as we consider afresh for a moment the cross of Jesus Christ, what we actually see is the true ugliness of sin and what it really is and what it leads to. And at the very same time, though, Christ's death is a glorious thing because in it, Jesus opens the way for holiness for every believer in him. The Holy One died for the unholy to make us holy. Back in chapter 1 again, verse 2, there it speaks of being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, being made holy internally through the Holy Spirit. And so it's the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, who brings the work of Jesus from the cross and makes it alive for Christians today, that he works on the inside and changes our nature. Furthermore, in verses 20 to 25, uh, Peter goes on there to show the centrality of the gospel message, this news, this good news about Jesus' death and resurrection and how that is what all people need to grow in holiness. And yes, even believers continue to need this. God set out a plan from before the world began to send his son Jesus to die on a cross. And this is the very plan that continues to work in the human heart through the preaching of the gospel. God is saying to us today, come, see afresh the beauty of Christ, the true heavenly treasure that we have. A salvation secured by God the Father through the blood of the Son, Jesus. A salvation that is imperishable and can never be taken away. That is the news that the Apostle Peter wants us to know. 
to dwell on, to cherish. That is how you and I grow in holiness, through believing the gospel, experiencing God's grace anew each day. And so in this way, that gospel message is the one that helps us tackle those two uh, challenges that I mentioned earlier. On the one hand, the gospel message, it, it fights off self-righteousness and helps us stop feeling squashed uh, and condemned by the sin in our lives, feeling like we're just not good enough for God. If that is you this morning, see that Jesus makes you holy. You are declared righteous in his eyes if you believe in him. That is the news you need to hear. You need to know that the Holy Spirit is the one who molds you, who shapes you, who makes you new. On the other hand, the gospel also stops us from giving in to sinful desires. It stops us seeing and helps us see the foolishness of that way of life. The gospel calls us to repent, to turn away from our sin. But not just that, it gives us a new motivation to live out holy obedience. This is because the gospel becomes, as we encounter Jesus in it, he becomes more precious to us than our sin. In that way, the Christian life is, is meant to be this progressive overcoming of our sinful desires as we walk with Jesus each day. If you imagine for a moment a big shipping container or, or a cruise ship that's sort of heading on the wrong direction, and what the gospel does in the Christian life is turn that big that heart, that, that heart that's set in its ways, it turns it towards Jesus. And over a lifetime, we are reorientated towards Christ. And so, Christian, I ask you this morning, is Christ more precious to you this day than ever? Have you grown to see his, how precious he is more and more as each day passes? That's what we're called to as Christians. So that's the first two things that we uh, first three things that we've learnt from Peter. There's one more thing that we get to learn about God's holiness this morning from the Apostle Peter. And this brings me to my fourth and final point. The fourth thing that we learn is how to be holy, to know how to be holy. What I mean by that is in practice, in day-to-day life. If God has called us to be obedient, what does that actually look like in day-to-day life? Well, in many ways, the Apostle Peter is going to be answering that question time and time again throughout the rest of his letter. He's going to expand on many ways of what it means to stand out from the crowd, to be a witness, to live holy lives. In our passage that we've read this morning, he gives us two two ways in particular. And the first is through sincerely and deeply loving one another. This love here, love within the Christian community, there's a special family of God type of love that's been described here that's unique to Christian communities. Are you surprised that the Apostle Peter's begun here with love? I don't know if we, I don't think we should be surprised by this. And what an opportunity the Christian church, we as a church have to show this in our culture today. With all the ongoing pandemic issues and the plethora of other societal issues that we face, the Christian church is truly uniquely placed to show Christ's love and witness to the world in this way. 
The way of self-giving holy love. The point is that if the gospel is truly at work amongst us, outsiders should see that and be struck by the difference that, that they see. Our holy dedication to God should reflect in our dedication to each other in love. And I have to say, Leah and I, as we've joined this community this past month or so, we have experienced this love from you, and we are so grateful for it. Uh, there's also a challenge here from the Apostle Peter, as he's, he contrasts this love with these other really negative things, like malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. And so he, he, I guess he asked the question for us this morning, that if this is not being shown in some way within our community, he wants us to address it. And so he asked us this morning, and God's word asks us and confronts us and says, is there someone that you need to forgive today? Is there someone that you need to make amends with? God calls us to be courageous and to address this. So that's the first way he says this is what holiness looks like in day-to-day life. Uh, the second way, uh, towards the end of our passage there, he, he shows that holiness is expressed by longing for spiritual milk. What does he mean by that? Well, that's longing for the gospel, longing for the word, to be feasting on God's word. The mark of true holiness, then, is a growing desire to dig deeper into God's word. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to be a Bible scholar. It simply means that you just have this desire to grow in your faith within the body of God's believers, uh, the body of believers here. In verse uh, 3 in chapter 2, uh, it's, the NIV uh, pre- should actually begin with the word if rather than now. It should read, if you have tasted that the Lord is good. What Peter's doing there is he's setting a test for us. He's saying, have you tasted Christ? Do you actually know that he's precious? Is he precious to you? Do you have a hunger for him? If you are here today and you haven't yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity for you to do that, to come to Christ. He's saying to you, turn away from your sin. Come to me, acknowledge your unholiness, and I will make you holy. And so the question is, if that is you, will you come? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so worthy of our praise and honor this morning. In every way, you are splendorous and glorious and holy. Father, we know that because of our sin, we are cut off from your goodness. And yet as Christians, we celebrate how we now can know you again through Jesus. Father, I pray that you would just continue to reveal yourself to us through your word. We thank you, Father, for the uh, challenge here to be holy and to live holy, obedient lives. We confess that that is a difficult thing for us to live as we live as foreigners and exiles in this world. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us, would encourage us, would get alongside us. And I pray as a body of believers that we might help each other press on in that goal. 
Father, we don't do that out of uh, self, help us to not do it out of self-righteous or trying to be good enough ourselves, but uh, I pray that your gospel would help us and empower us to live these lives for you. Father, it's so precious to know you, and I pray, Lord, that we would truly treasure you above all things in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.